The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. That's where we get our confidence, Lord, to live each day is that knowing that you are with us. God, that your Holy Spirit is in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, when we trust in your Son, Jesus. Lord, and we recognize that it is only through Jesus Christ, as the Scripture says, there is one way to the Father, and that is through the Son, Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father except through the Son. Father, we thank you that you are with us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live each day, Father, in a way that would honor you. Help us to make good choices, Father, that reflect your character, that reflect your Son in our heart. Lord, we love you. We thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, I was thinking about the text today, and it's on, uh, it says, do not judge, that you may not be judged. And I was thinking about organizations and why Jesus is talking about this, because the, we're working through the Sermon on the Mount, and we get to a section that is a little disjointed, and, and scholars have a hard time really figuring out the, the flow of thought. It seems like Jesus is kind of jumping around here at the end of his sermon, but we know Jesus preaches the perfect sermon, so it's really up to us to try to figure out uh, where he's going with this, but... There, there's clearly the idea that when, when Jesus has called his disciples together at his feet, he's going to prepare them, teach them, equip them, and send them out. And so it seems to be he's now thinking, in light of what he's been teaching, he knows where they're going to go with this, and he sees there's a little yellow flag like, I need, to, I need to clarify something here. And I was thinking, what happens in organizations? Uh, think of any organization. Uh, Right down the road, there's a golf club, and so there's an organization where people join, and there are uh, rules, there are uh, expectations for for either the neighborhood association or for the golf, the country club portion of the golf club portion of it. There are rules and expectations that people have united together and, and have agreed to live according to those standards, but. Just like that organization, or maybe it's a college student in the sorority or fraternity, or maybe it's the business organizations, anytime you get together, people in an organization who've agreed to live by rules, there's always going to be that, that rule Nazi person, right? That one person that seems to just take it too far, and you're like, really? I mean, they, they just are overboard, they're never happy, their whole life is spent eyeballing the community, and they are the self-appointed judge of enforcer of all the rules. And, and they, they drive everybody crazy. And they ruin the enjoyment of the community because they can't seem to enjoy the whole greater purpose of those rules was to create a, a place where you could enjoy the community. They're so fixated on every little rule and the rule breakers that they exalt themselves to be the rule enforcer. And I think that Jesus has been teaching his disciples to be very serious about his, his law, his will. And he's teaching them as he's about to send them out to build churches, to proclaim the gospel of, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as people come and believe in Jesus, they will become a community of faith. And Jesus is going to give them... a 
plan on how to, to live in the life of faith and what it looks like, but he knows there's going to be this problem of this type of person that I just described. And so we're going to look at what he says. He, he's going to give some, some warnings or he's going to lay down a principle by which we should live in the church or in our faith community. He says this in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. I'll read it again. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then there's this little strange verse that you just go, huh? Do not give dogs what's holy and throw to your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Father, help us understand your scriptures. We believe that, these, that this word of God is truly the word of God. It is the authoritative teachings for our life that should govern our lives and also our living together in the community of faith, the church that worships you. Help us to understand and then to apply it so that we can be conformed to your image and bring more glory to your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in these verses, Jesus lays down a principle which should govern the behavior of his people. And the principle is stated very clearly. Judge not, I've got it memorized, I guess, from somewhere in the old days, lest you be judged, right? Judge not that you be not judged. That's the principle that he is saying to his disciples as he's gathering them, teaching them, instructing them on how to live together for the glory of God. He says, don't judge. Lest you be judged. If you judge, you're going to be judged. And so what does Jesus mean when he says, judge not? Many people like to quote this when, we, when they don't want someone up in their business, right? They don't want to be held accountable to a standard. And so you say, hey, I'm not, hey, don't judge me. Judge not lest you be judged. Worry about the log in your own eye. You know, we know these verses that are convenient and we can memorize them and quote them when it helps. Is that what Jesus means? Is stay out of my business. Don't hold me accountable to any type of standard. I mean, he says, judge not. Well, how do you know what something means when you're studying a text of Scripture? You look at the context. And so you go, okay, well, what has Jesus said in other parts of his sermon or what has Matthew said in in other parts of this letter because this is a passage out of a paragraph out of a letter which is part of a book and just like any other book you can't just lift it out and make it say what you think it says want it to say you got to study what what did the author intend to mean when he said this so Jesus says judge not well how do we know what that means Carson explains that the context which is what I was just going through, the the larger context demands that this means do not be judgmental or do not adopt a critical spirit or a condemning attitude. That's the key. It's the attitude behind the judging, what he is saying here. Do not judge with a critical spirit. Do not Take upon yourself a condemning attitude where you exalt yourself as the high judge and you're looking down your nose at others 
as the rule enforcer with this condemning self-righteous attitude. This is what we see supported in Scripture. Anytime you're looking at a text to understand what it means, you want to say, does this contradict Scripture anywhere else? Because if it contradicts, then you've got it wrong because God's Word does not contradict itself. So in Romans 14, uh, Jesus is saying the same thing Paul says in Romans 14. Here's what Paul says in Romans 14. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? And that gets at the attitude underneath this idea of judging, judgment. Then Paul addresses an antidote to this problem of judging and despising someone in the community of faith. He says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Why do you look down and despise in judgment someone else? Because reason, do you not know you're going to stand before God and the real judge? Verse 11, for it's written, as I live... Says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. This is the exact same sentiment Jesus is teaching us with. Paul is saying, why are you despising one another? Why are you causing this rift in in the community of faith? Why are you creating this division as you exalt yourself as God Almighty and you look down your condemning, critical nose at others? Do you not know that you're going to be standing before the judge yourself? Do you not understand your position before God Almighty? Let us not do this. So Jesus and Paul are both teaching us not to despise one another when we see sin or a problem in each other's lives, not to look at one another with a critical spirit or with a condemning attitude as we live in community together. So does this mean that we are not to judge right and wrong? We're not to be in each other's business. We're not to hold each other accountable. Absolutely not. That's not what it means. If it is, then we've got a church built on a very flawed system. This whole church is built on this idea that we want membership to be valuable and meaningful. We don't want membership to be just something you signed a card and you never dealt with the church again, but you, you got your name on the card. We're like, that's not what biblical membership is. Biblical membership is a loving community that is there to help you, encourage you, promote godliness, the good, beautiful will of God in your life. And, and so if, if this meant just stay out of my business, then that's not going to work because Being involved in each other's life is required to have a healthy church. In fact, if you look down in verse 6 of our text today, Jesus actually tells us to judge certain people as dogs and hogs. Look what he said in verse 6. He says, you need to not cast your holy things and your pearls before dogs and pigs. And those are, we're going to see in a minute, that's really referring to wild dogs and wild pigs, which are hogs. So he's saying, you've got to decide. Some people are hogs and some people are dogs. And at the same verse, he's saying, don't judge. So we've got to really understand how to apply this and what does Jesus mean when he says this. Also later in verse 15 of chapter 7, Jesus is going to teach us to judge some as false prophets. 
judge whether someone's preaching is faithful to the scriptures or not. So that's just a few verses after he says, judge not. So in our English, there's some challenges to this understanding the text. It's because the translations, uh, there's not always a great English word to get the full idea of a Greek word which was written. The scriptures tell us all over the place that the idea of the church is to be a community of faith to the glory of God. And the very uh, idea of that necessitates us being involved in each other's lives, us knowing each other, us encouraging one another, us loving one another, caring for one another, exhorting one another, challenging and encouraging and holding each other accountable. Just go home and Google the one another passages if you have an electronic Bible, or any, go on to Bible Gateway and go in there and just cite, type in one another, and there's just this huge list of the, the community of faith is all about one another. And so how do we live and even restore one another when Jesus says, judge not? Clearly, he's not saying you can't get involved in each other's lives and, and use judgment and hold each other accountable to truth. Sinclair Ferguson explains, I'm going to quote him a lot, I really liked his approach to this text. Sinclair Ferguson explains, the key to understanding and applying this principle that Jesus is laying down is knowing God as both judge and father. And he points out chapter 6 was all about God as our father. Remember the Lord's Prayer, how beautiful it was to think about the love of God for us as his children. God is our Father. It's mentioned over and over in chapter 6, but then in verse 7, he talks about judge, and he, he's bringing up this idea that God is also our judge. And so Ferguson says this about those. He says, God's position as judge teaches us to be stricter with ourselves in the sense of dealing with our sin, with our persistent determination to master it, meaning master sin, and gentle with others. For in the discovery of our own hearts, we learn to have compassion on others in their weaknesses. The knowledge of God's judgment clarifies and sanctifies our attitudes toward ourselves and others, as well as toward the Lord. So the more that we understand and grasp the two aspects of God that we've been in chapter 6 and 7, God is Father, loving, merciful, but also He's judge, He's just. And when we come before the Father and see our own sin and our own need for mercy and our own desperation for His forgiveness, it humbles us and it forces us to be in a position of being more passionate about our own sin. It doesn't annihilate our need to be involved in each other's lives, but that humble position of recognizing my own sin before I, I deal with your sin puts me in a humble position to then be able to properly help the family of faith, help one another to watch your blind spots as you watch my blind spots because that's where I need you desperately. So when Jesus says we are not to judge, he is saying we are not to take on a critical spirit or a condemning attitude as we deal with one another's failings and sin. 
So now Jesus in verse 2 provides a theological justification for this principle. Principle, judge not lest you be judged. Theological justification for, and he says for means reason. Here's the reason. Here's the basis for why I say that. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, 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 with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the theological justification for this truth is that those who have experienced the mercy and the grace of God will extend the mercy and grace of God to others. This should be bone-shaking. When you find yourself critical toward others, when you find yourself condemning others, it ought to warn you that the way I'm viewing them is the way God's going to view me. The way I'm judging them is reflective of how I understand God will judge me. It's very similar to when we were preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, forgive us as we have forgiven our debtors. And we said it's not that our forgiving someone then kind of earns me a little favor with God to forgive me. That's not what he is saying. It's saying that our attitude toward others who have sinned against us will reflect our understanding of our attitude of how God reacts towards us and our sin. If we understand that our sin is not earned off, it's not worked off, it's not deserved forgiveness, but our sin is a, our forgiveness of our sin is a gift of an unconditionally gracious, merciful God who has said, I will forgive you based on Christ. And I realize I don't deserve it, but he's given me and lavished me with grace and mercy when he gives me credit for Jesus' perfection, Jesus' perfect rule-keeping, will of God. He's perfect. I'm getting credit for that. I mean, where's the pride in that? Where can I say, look what I did. I'm awesome. Jesus kept it all, and I got credit for it. Aren't I great? Now, you, step it up. I mean, it just, it's, it just doesn't reflect proper understanding. It's irrational for me to condemn you but think God is going to be gracious to me. I don't understand my relationship with God right if I'm acting that way towards everybody else. So the theological justification hits us at the heart to say this is not just about a horizontal relationship, that your relationship with one another is reflective of, our, of your relationship with the Lord. So if you are running around this community, the faith, and you are dividing and you are criticizing and you are condemning and you think you're doing some great work of God, you better hope that you don't stand before God and he treats you that way. That's what he's saying. So it should cause some very serious concern that if I see the critical spirit in my heart, do I really understand my relationship with God. Because it, it reveals there's a self-righteousness in there. When I'm critical towards you, it reveals that I must think that I'm doing something good for God to be gracious towards me. And that's not the gospel at all. D.A. Carson says, The point of these two verses is not that we should be moderate in our judging in order that others will be moderate toward us, that's the horizontal, but rather that we should abolish judgmental attitudes 
lest we ourselves stand utterly condemned before God. Not just horizontal, there's a vertical dimension that should really change the way we view how we treat one another. And then next we see in verse 3 through 5, Jesus provides a comical example using exaggeration to, to make the point. Look what he says in verse 3 through 5. He's, he's providing an example of what this looks like to kind of say, really, is this what you think is a good idea? He says, why do you see the speck, like a speck of dust or a splinter in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? All right, let's think about this for a second. Log, very large piece of wood jetting out of my eyeball. And I see Stephen over there kind of working out a little speck of dust, and I'm like, Stephen, you got a serious eye problem as I turn and knock your wife over the head with this log that's coming out of my eye. And he's just like, really? Are you about to talk to me about my eye issue? Because right now you are in no position to help me out, brother. I mean, how can I help Stephen with his eye issue? How, how equipped, what kind of position am I to, to, to dig down in his eye and find that little speck when I can't even get close to him because I've got such a massive problem myself? What kind of ability do I have to, what kind of relationship do I have? Is he going to receive what I have for him as he can clearly see I've got a massive log sticking out of my eye? Is he going to be prepared for that? Am I in a position for that? No, the point is this, is, this is hysterical. Jesus is saying, how can you treat each other this way? How can you really think that you're got... You're in a position to help one another when you don't recognize your own issues. And so that really gets at the heart of the problem. It's hypocrisy. Notice verse 5. He says, you hypocrite. He dealt with hypocrisy in in our religion or our practice of our righteousness when he said, don't pray like this when you're just doing this for man. That's hypocritical. Now he's saying, listen, when you live with each other, you can't be hypocrites towards one another. First, verse 5 again, first take the log out of your own eye. So that's that first, come before the Lord, acknowledge his just wrath is due upon you and yourself for your own sin. Must first come before God and realize that God is right and good, and perfect, and is exactly just if he wiped me out right then and there and did not allow me to have another breath because of my sin and my rebellion against him. But he doesn't. He gives me credit for Jesus' righteousness. He forgives, he forgives, he's slow to anger, he's long-suffering, he continues to, to intercede and to give me grace and mercy. He says, first, deal with your own sin. You see something in your brother's life and community group and, and it's, it's genuinely you're concerned about it, first thing you do before you open your mouth and go talk to them and say, God, let's, 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 let's do some business here. Let's make sure I'm humbled and dependent and realize my standing before I, I go think I've got to help out someone else. So first... Deal with your log in your own eye. So notice he doesn't say, ignore it. You're a sinner. You have no right to talk to them. 
He didn't say that in verse 5. He could have said in verse 4, he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out when you got your own eye? Verse 5, he could have said, hey, you're hypocritical, so let's just not go there with each other. He didn't say that. That had been a lot easier. Let's just not go there. It also would have been empty, right? I mean, church would be, would be a joke. But he says, first, there's an order here. Take out your own log. Deal with that. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then you'll be able to, then I will be a place to get close to Stephen and say, let's go grab coffee, dude. Let's talk. And he's like, yeah, what's up? Man, I'm just worried about something I'm seeing. Man, thank you for bringing that up. And that's, that's, I want that in my life. I need people who love me enough to say, Tracy, hey, brother, let's go to lunch. Not quite sure you want to do that. Wait, what are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of conversations we desperately need. That's what makes church valuable is when you've got brothers and sisters who know you well enough, you walk in the room, they look in your eye, and they know something's wrong. Or they know your life, they know your patterns, and and there's something that's a little off. And they love you enough to say, hey, let's talk, let's be careful. Because we have massive blind spots that we can't see. And God has designed it such that we need people who love us in our lives to help us keep from going over and into the ditch or getting into a massive wreck in our life. But there's a way to do it. And it begins with humility. It begins with recognizing first my own sin and the log that's in my eye. Do you realize that you have a massive log in your eye? And you may be sitting there going, well, I don't, but... And I'd say, yeah, there's your sign. We got a problem. The fall makes us terrible judges. That's what he's saying. Because we are all sinners, we are terrible judges. We must humbly recognize that we're not good judges. We all tend to give ourselves enormous amounts of mercy while requiring exact justice from others. I mean, who, who doesn't know that about ourselves? I mean, if you don't know that about yourself, then we need to start talking because I think that's just part of the sinful nature is to give ourselves... I, 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 I mean, when I think about parenting, I know, but I'm, you know... I say, Why won't they do that with their kid? Right? I mean, it's just the way we are. It, we give ourselves so much mercy, so much grace, but everyone else needs to shape up. We are hypocrites. We're terrible judges. It's like the judge whose kid has been out there breaking the laws... And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's pulling strings, getting his kid off. And then my kid comes up in court, and he is like, nah. And he drops the hammer. I mean, it's just a hypocrite. And that's what we all are. We're not to piously exalt ourselves in judgment over others as if we are sinless, all the while ignoring our own massive sin issues. We're also hypocrites because oftentimes the reason it evokes rage in us when someone else does something is because that's exactly what I hate that I do. Isn't that true? I mean, when I see someone else doing something that that I'm struggling with, it just, ugh. It's so easy for me to get upset about them when it because... 
It's what I wrestle with. But when I come out and talk to my wife about what she's doing, I don't say, babe, I wrestle with that. I'm like, would you quit doing that? And that's exactly what I'm wrestling with. And that's why I'm getting so upset. So we're hypocrites. We're also hypocrites because we like to look like we're helping someone else. I like to look, I want to go to Stephen and help him. This brother needs help. And I'm the Savior. Let me help you, Stephen, brother. And so Stephen's like, really, can we go to someone else now? He's in my community group. See, we've got a relationship now. He sat up close. That's why everybody's back there, Stephen. You'll learn over time. (laughs) Caroline, you're next. No, I'm kidding. So we, we, we like to help others and point others' flaws, and we're smart enough and smooth enough to do in such a way that it's actually kind of like the guy praying on the corner, Oh, Father, we love you. He's not praising God. He's wanting you to praise him. And it's similarly us wanting to bring out others' faults because it makes us look better. We have to admit this tendency in our heart. And the more we understand and acknowledge and admit it, we're in a better position to properly help one another with our failings and our sin. Even King David had this problem. I mean, King David, what does the scripture say about King David? Man after God's own heart. It's his family line that the Messiah Jesus came from. If ever there was a man, a human, to say, he doesn't have to worry about this, it was King David, esteemed as the king of Israel that that united the kingdom. I mean, he had it going on. But 2 Samuel 12, 12, 1, we see he had massive hypocrisy. Who, what did David do? He sees this woman on top of the roof over there. He lusts. He didn't have someone pointing into his ear. Brah, uh-uh. Don't go there. No one's holding him accountable. No one's doing this one another stuff with him. What does he do? He sins. He calls for her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. And then the cover-up happens. He sends her husband to the front lines of war so that he'll be killed. And then he marries her. And then God sends Nathan the prophet to David, 2 Samuel 12, 1. Nathan, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Listen to David's hypocrisy. He came to him and he said, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him, with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd. A rich man, unable to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Oh, David was enraged greatly, kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are that man. 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and you're going to do this? We all are just like King David. We're hypocrites. We're bad, corrupt judges. And let us keep that in mind as we try to live in community, encouraging one another to godliness. We close with a point of clarification. Verse 5 and 6. He says, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll, be clear, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Then verse 6. Don't give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and attack you. In these verses, we see the point of clarification needs to be made. The point is not, the point of clarification is this. Do not judge, but use judgment. Jesus is not saying don't use judgment, don't judge between right and wrong. We see in verse 5, he does say, deal with the speck in your brother's eye. Deal with the problems that we find in community. It is right and good and helpful and holy and glorious to be involved in each other's lives for good. So yes, use judgment, judge between right and wrong. No, this is not good, this is not right, this is good, this is right. Yes, do that. Hold each other to a standard of truth. But just don't do it in a condemning, critical attitude towards one another. R.T. France is correct when he says, It is not wrong to notice or to try to help with another's failing. But the person who is unaware of their own greater failing is not in a position to do it. If you don't see your own sin disqualifying you, Excuse me, if you don't see your own sin, then you are disqualified from helping others. You should care, you should help, but you must do it from a position of humility, knowing the grace of God has been shown to you. Verse 6, the dogs and hogs. This has to do with sharing the treasures of the gospel and the word of God. The pearls, the holy things, these are the treasures of God's word, God's will, uh, so rules in the idea of, of organization is much different than rules or the teachings of scriptures. It's truth that is good and holy and perfect and precious and wonderful. The gospel and all that is contained in your scriptures. These are the holy things. These are the pearls he's talking about. Jesus is saying that it's good and necessary for us to make judgments that when you are dealing with someone who has absolute no regard, no respect, no appreciation of the truths of God's word, of the gospel, of what you're trying to do, use good sense. Move on. In the scriptures, it says, and there's a whole lot of teachings about how to do this. You've got to do it lovingly, gently, carefully with prayer. But it says if they're in the church, then they need to get out. And if you're out there sharing the gospel, you need to have the sense not to sit there and beat your head up against a brick wall. It's okay to use judgment and move on. It's what this point of clarification is saying. Notice that it says that you can only do this after you've shared with them. So you don't sit back going, eh, I think they're going to be a hog. I ain't sharing no, you share, and then if their response is like a wild boar, be careful. You don't throw wild dogs. You don't feed the bears because when they're not satisfied, they come after you. 
And so he's saying, listen, share the gospel freely. Share the truth of God's word liberally and generously. But when you encounter a savage who will turn and attack, it is wise to move on and use, your, use good judgment. Now, if the Lord has put someone on your heart and you're just like, man, the Spirit of God won't let me go, okay, then obey the Lord. But you get the point. You get the idea. You get the, the principle here. So the point is this. Don't judge others with a critical or condemning spirit. For you as a fellow sinner are in no position to be condemning and criticizing others. Carson talks about the difficulty in applying this. He says, on the one hand, some people are so critical. I had to get this one in. On the one hand, so, some people are so critical, they feast on roast preacher every Sunday lunch. <laughs> Let me read that again. <laughs> on the one hand, some people are so critical, they feast on roast preacher every Sunday lunch. And some preachers are so critical, they level verbal barrages at most of their colleagues, especially those who are more fruitful than they. On the other hand, Jesus' disciples ought to recognize some preachers as faults because of their fruit and dismiss them accordingly. And the preacher who credits all of his peers with precisely the same grace and insight falls far below Paul's discriminating attitude. The problem is that the Christian's responsibility to discern, once granted, is readily warped into justification for harping criticism. Could not say that better. I would add, then, that we are being a judgmental, condemning person. Oftentimes, we have no clue that we're being that person. I have observed over the years that the most critical condemning people are usually pretty oblivious to the fact that they're that way. Somehow their pattern of life has created such a, a mindset that they think that they are zealous for the truth and doing God's work, and they just don't realize it. France is right. This calls for a rare degree of self-awareness combined with unselfish concern for others. So here's what I want to do. I'm running out of time. Jeff Foxworthy says, here's your sign. You might be a redneck. Y'all know that joke? Y'all remember those? Okay. If you're mowing the yard and you find a car, you might be a redneck. Things like that. All right. You might be critical if you answer yes to one of these 10 questions. I'm going to go fast because I'm running out of time. It's 10.02. Do many of your social media posts point out faults of others from a distance? There's your sign. Do you find yourself valuing others less than you value yourselves? Do you find yourself harder on those more fruitful than yourself? Do you find yourself saying what is true but saying it maliciously? Do you take joy in pointing out faults of others? Like it's a badge of honor. You feel better about yourself when you do. Do you honestly hope to build up others or... Are you trying to tear them down with your comments? Do you see a history or a pattern of your comments actually helping? Or do you see it hurting? Do others see in you a humility and awareness of your sin? Or do you just see your, their sin? Do you find yourself more passionate about justice than you are about mercy? Do you feel the need to constantly be denouncing and condemning others? Like you just can't be at peace if you're not doing that. May we not look at each other 
with a condemning, critical attitude, but may we be lovingly encouraging godliness in each other's lives. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for your help applying this passage because it is very, very hard and so easy to, to be upset with others and understanding with ourselves. And Lord, I, I just feel like this is such an important topic, especially for our church, as we've tried to be a church that are serious about your scriptures. And that just is a recipe for someone to get really critical of others and condemning, and, and we just don't see any room for that in your scriptures, Lord. So guard us, protect us. I thank you that you have thus far to a massive extent. You have protected us from such divisive critical condemning attitudes. I pray, Lord, you will continue to protect the unity of this church as we seek to bring glory to you through lovingly, mercifully encouraging each other and holding each other accountable to the truth. And may this be so this year. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.